You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. The song we just sang was so appropriate for today. I don't know if it ministered to you, but it ministered to me, and hopefully I can work that in my message. But it's true, our God will not delay. Our refuge and strength, he's our refuge and strength always. It says, I will not fear. You're going to hear that word in the message today. His promises are true. You're going to hear that today. My God will come through always, always. Do you believe that? Oh, yeah, it sounds like it. Yes. Do you believe it? All right. Hey, um, I don't know why you're here today. Um, I hope you're here to worship God today. But maybe you kind of drifted in here and you don't know a lot about the Lord. And I want to speak to you too. The Lord has something for you today. The Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to understand that worship song. He wants to understand you that he has promises that always come true. And that you can trust in those promises always. He'll see you through any trial that you're involved in. Or you find yourself in. I want you to know that. And if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior... I want to encourage you to reach out and receive him. It's a free gift. He says, I want to have that relationship. I don't want you just coming in and out of here on Sundays and Wednesdays or once a month. I want to know you personally, and I want you to know me. God loves you. Let's pray, and we're going to look at how Abram found himself in the wrong place. Father God, I... uh, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, um, to teach your word, Lord. I thank you that you love us so much. Your Holy Spirit even now wells up within our hearts for those that have received you and know you, Lord. And your Holy Spirit moves about, Lord God, um, Father, opening up our eyes of understanding, giving us wisdom, leading us, and guiding us into all your truths. I thank you that you've left us a helper. You don't leave us alone, Lord God, but you left us your Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth. We thank you for that. Father, help us to lay down our life. Help us to be receptive this morning of what you have for us. Father, help us to apply God's word, to hear, Lord, and to apply, not to forget what we've heard, but to remember what we've heard from your Holy Spirit, that small voice. And and Father, give us the strength to change. Give us the the strength to repent. Give us the, the strength to move forward in our relationship and our devotion to you. Help us not let this become some religion, Lord God, where um, things become stale and stagnant, Lord. But, Father, that our, our relationship would be active. People would see our faith by what we do and who we are. Father, we love you. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, is everybody there? Genesis 12. I'm going to start uh, in verse 10. We left off, and again, we'll be looking out. Abraham found himself in the wrong place. It says, now there was a famine in the land. And if you back up to verse 8, we, we saw that Abraham was last seen, or we last read about, that he was toward the hills in Canaan, east of Bethel, which Bethel means house of God, and he pitched his tent 
with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Ai means ruin or heap. So he is, he's in the land of Canaan and he's, he's brought his family to a place that's between ruin and heap and house of God. I looked at all kinds of um, uh, studies on this set of scripture and different commentaries and nobody had a really good answer why he, why they, um, you know, the author mentions these two cities. So I developed my own theory and I'll just share you what I think. I think um, Abraham is in the land of promise. He's in the land of Canaan that God has called him to. He finally gets there and he sets up this place, but he has real decisions in front of him. And when we look at our lives as believers, we in a sense are in the land of promise. We have the promises of God. We're living out the promises of God. But we still have real decisions to make. We have decisions that will lead. If we go to the left, we go to heap of ruin. Or we go to the right, we can go into the house of God or in the plans of God. So I, I think he's, he's at a place of growth. He's at a place of decision making. And this is where we find him. As he's in Canaan, he says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister. Now, he doesn't know if they're going to do this or not. He's supposing that this is what they're going to do. And he lies. And he gets his family to lies. And he, I don't know how my wife would feel about it if I said, honey, let's just pretend that we're not even married when we go over to this place. We just don't know how they're going to react. I think I would be killed at that point. And the story would end. Verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female, donkeys, men servants, maidservants, and camels. If I wasn't killed at first, I would be killed now, because I'd be receiving reward for what I've done. 17, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And then the next four verses in chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, that's where he was before, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. In a nutshell, what is going on here is Abraham takes a roller coaster ride in his faith. And maybe your faith has been described as that it's kind of been on a roller coaster. There's been some highs and there's been some lows. Well, this is a low for Abraham. He falters in his faith in the Lord and the Lord's provision and the, uh, um, the Lord's power to take care of him. And he relies on self a little bit. And he, he goes into this trough, if you would. And then he 
back here in chapter 13, the first four verses, he gets back to the place that he was before he made the mistake. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Abraham's walk of faith. And it's my prayer that you, as we look at Abraham, we won't make the same mistakes he makes. We won't have the big dips in our faith that he has, but we will move forward. Now remember, Abraham has just been called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a, he was a pagan. He worshipped multiple gods. God has called him out. He's, a, he's a, in a sense, a born-again Christian. He's a new believer in God. And so he's learning how to walk by faith. And God has a lot of grace on him. When he gets held up in Haran, his delayed disobedience we talked about last week, God has grace on him and he waits for Abraham and he gives him a second call to come out of Haran and get to Canaan where he was supposed to be. And you're going to see that same grace poured out on his life here. But the first thing that pops out at me after reading, as I read this section of scripture, is that Abraham finds himself in Egypt. He finds himself in Egypt. I have a little map up here. Um, Ur of the Chaldeans, way back here. He comes down from Haran, and he finds himself, Bethel, Shechem, right in here, camping out. Famine. It says a severe famine comes on the land. And so he says, we're out of here. Goes over to Egypt. Checks out the pyramids. Thinks they're cool. All right? And this is where the story takes him. And then he goes from Egypt. He learns his lesson. So we're going to see. And he makes his way back up to Bethel. Shechem. So for the sake of our discussion, I want to, I want to point out two biblical types that are presented in this chapter. Really symbolisms. They're symbolic of something um, greater in the future. And they will help you relate this story to your life. They will help you apply this story right to your life. And that's my, and that's my prayer. That's my hope. So let's look at these um, two bi- uh, biblical types that we see. And you might have heard these before. The first uh, type that we look at is Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. And the world's value system is this, the life of self-confidence. I don't need anyone. I'm dependent on self. I don't need to depend on God. I got the answers. I know what I want to do. I know my plans. And that's what, the, that's what Egypt symbolizes in the story. And you see, you see this all through Scripture. You'll see it in Exodus. Don't you guys know the story? The Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. It's really... A type of sin. They're in the world in bondage to sin. Who liberates them? God liberates them by by his hand. He leads them by way of Moses out to where? He leads them into the desert and into the promised land. Awesome. Just like us, right? When Adam Adam and Eve sinned, we, we all sinned in a sense. When you were born into sin, you're in bondage to sin. God, by his hand, sends his son Jesus, liberates us from our sin breaks the yoke of bondage. Now we're free to choose to live in the promised land. It's our choice. It's interesting when you look at the promised land, there's still battles in the promised land when you look at the count of Exodus. There's a reason for that. That's a type of our walk with Christ. We still have battles in this world and in in our life in Christ in this world. There's still battles. But God has promised us that deliverance from our sin, that we have now have choice, the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God, we have that. So Egypt, a type of the world. 
the life of self-confidence. The second one here is Canaan in the Bible. And this is a type for the promises of God. I just explained that Canaan would also correlate to our life in Christ, the promise of a new life in him. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Also a promise of our eternal kingdom, um, heaven, eternal life. These are the promises of God. So Canaan really is a type of the promises of God. Its value system is simple. A life of faith in God. A life of dependence on God, not in self. And so these types apply to us today. And this is what we're going to see in the story. So the question is, why is Abraham in Egypt? Why is he in the world? When God specifically, and without a doubt, has called him to Canaan, to his promises, to live in the land of promise and to depend on him for all his needs. So why does he find himself in Egypt? And it's that idea of as Christians, you know, I don't know if you ever thought this of yourself or maybe you've seen it in somebody else. It's like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get myself in this situation? Has anybody gotten themselves in a situation or like, man, I can't believe it. Yes, I know some of your stories. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> it's great. It's like how, or maybe you see, how did they ever get there? There was a huge tragedy. Uh, a tra- I call it a tragedy on the news. I don't know if you um, um, seen the news where there was the, this. Uh, I believe it was a South African runner that ran in the Olympics that had the the spring legs. Anybody see that story? He, he ended up shooting five times through the bathroom door and killed his girlfriend. No doubt, as he's sitting in jail, how in the world did I get myself here? I don't know if he's a Christian or believer or not, but that's kind of an extreme situation. It just happened. It just shocked me. But us as well, maybe in our relationships, how in the world did I get here? And this is kind of what we're looking at, and I'm sure Abraham's saying this. So I want to answer that question. Why did Abraham wind up in Egypt and in the world? Well, for a short answer, because his lack of faith in the midst of his trial led him to sin. His lack of faith in the midst of a trial, that's why he found himself in Egypt. He found himself in the world. And I want to look at faith. I want to look at his faith. I want to look at the trial. And I want to look at the sin. And we see that he, he drags his family into it. He drags his wife into the sin as well. Look at verse 10. The first verse we read here. Chapter 12, verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So the famine was Severe. That's one of the reasons why we see Abraham in Egypt. It's severe. And if we stick to our typology, this is what has happened. I wrote it on the board. We have Abraham walking away from Canaan. This is his faith in God. He's walking away from his faith in God by not trusting God when the severe famine impacts the land. He doesn't trust in the providence of God that God's going to be able to take care of him. God led him here and God will be able to take care of him. So he, he sense, walks away from his faith in God. But trusting in himself, Egypt, or the world, and makes his own self-confident decisions. He makes his own decisions. And say, hey, we'll go and 
We'll go, to, we'll go into the world. We'll make our own decisions about what to do now. And I want to encourage you right from the start. Trials will come. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But the first thing we need is to hold on to our faith. Hold on to our faith in God. What does God want us to do in the midst of the trial? It's interesting to me as I, as I studied through this, and my mind was kind of going everywhere, because the main attribute that we see of Abraham in the Bible is his faith. In fact, he's called in Romans the father of our faith. He was the, he was the first one to believe in God. He was the first one to believe God that he, he was going to have a son, and through his son would come the promised Messiah when they had no children. And when he believed... God said, hey, your belief I accredit to you as righteousness. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Matthew, uh, sorry, Genesis 15, couple, one page in my Bible, maybe two in yours. Genesis 15. Let me read to you the first six verses. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This was after Abraham um, rescues Lot. There's a whole lot that happens in, in, in that last chapter. But after that, that war is over and he, He brings Lot back to the family. He says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer, Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be, or your seed, or your, or your lineage will come. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and, and he accredited it to him as righteousness. God accredited it to his belief as righteousness. Again, Abraham, consistently through the word is in, in the New Testament, is called the father of our faith because of, this, because of this belief in God. Because it was Abraham's belief in God that made him righteous. It wasn't what Abraham did. Because you see, Abraham made mistakes in Iran. He makes mistakes going to Egypt. It wasn't based on what he did, but it was based on what he believes. Now, this is the beginning, remember, of, of the Jewish nation. The law hasn't been given yet. They haven't gone into Egypt as a nation and then broken out of bondage. None of that has happened yet. And remember when they're in the desert, that's when the law comes. So keeping the law doesn't make you righteous. Right from the beginning, believing in God makes you righteous. Jesus would have the same conversation with the Jewish people in the New Testament. Abraham's, the true Abraham's children are those who believe in what God said. In other words, the true children of Abraham are those who believe in the Messiah. That's what Jesus was saying to the Israel people because they're thinking, hey, we're fine. Our father is Abraham. And Jesus had to say, well, Abraham believed in me. <laughs> Israelites, uh, Abraham's true children are those who believe in me. That's what Jesus was saying to him. I love that because it leads me to my favorite verse in all of the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and I'll share it with you. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not what Abraham has done. 
That's what God has done. He credited to him his righteousness. And that's what God has done for us. We are made righteous by believing in Jesus Christ. And that belief is, the Greek word is there to trust with one's life. That's what the, not just to know about, but it's a deeper Greek word that means to trust with one's life. So right from the beginning, we're given the promise of God to, li- to live in the promises of God, to live in Canaan, to live with God for all eternity through believing in his son Jesus, through his lineage. I love it. Um, I'd like to read you, um, you can just listen to this. It's out of Romans. If you want to take some time and go through Romans, it talks all about Abraham and his belief and how it was a credit to him as righteousness and that, that, how, that, how that came before the law. And one quick thing about the law, the law was just given to the people so that they would see their need of a savior. It was a schoolmaster that drove them to the knowledge of the Savior that they could not live righteously. Righteousness had to come from another, another place. For those of you that drive, how do you know that you're speeding? Where's that? Did you see a speed limit sign? I didn't see one yet. Did you see one? Yeah, there's one. Yeah, you're speeding. You don't know you're speeding until the law is present. And when the law is present, you realize that you're sinful. Now you need a mediator because no sin can be with the Father in heaven. Now you need somebody to impute righteousness to you. You need a savior. Because you can't be righteous. That's what the law did. Let me read you this. The words of Paul in the book of Romans. Again, he says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life. For our justification, just as if we never sinned. I love that verse. Why is Abraham in Egypt? Lack of faith, but more importantly, lack of faith in his trials. Lack of faith in his trials. We will suffer trials as believers. <laughs> well, believers or non believers, in this world, you will have trouble. God says, John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God will often use, and not every time, but he will often use trials to test your faith. He wants to prove you. It's not like, it's not like a pass-fail. He wants you to fail. He wants you to be successful because he wants to take you to a place of dependence, a full dependence. He doesn't want to leave you in the world. He doesn't want to leave you in self-dependence. He wants to move you. And a lot of times we say, yes, I trust you. Yes, I believe in you. But when real trials come, our flesh pops out. It's seen all over the place. And we begin to lean on our own decision-making. We make our own choices. And we don't bring God into the equation. Anybody there with me? You're all falling asleep. Yeah. God's trying to what? He's trying to develop our faith. It's exactly what he's doing with Abraham, isn't he? He's trying to develop his faith. Abraham will make the same mistake. He will go back down, well, actually he'll go close to Egypt again, and he'll be challenged about this same thing again in the next couple of chapters. And again, he learns, again, that he needs to depend on the Lord. He ultimately gets this. 
Abraham will be asked by God to sacrifice his son, who he doesn't have right now. The promise will come. Isaac will be born. Abraham and Sarah will have a son, Isaac. And God will ask of Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. How crazy is that? To take your son and sacrifice your son. Abraham, in the midst of this trial, probably the biggest one of his life, says, yes, Lord. And he goes to Mount, he goes to Mount Moriah, which is now corresponds to where Jesus Christ himself was crucified in Jerusalem. He takes his son Isaac, he binds him, raises the knife, he's about to kill him, with the hope, Hebrews talks about, with the hope that he trusts God so much, he's like, even if I do this, I know the promise. God said, through the kid that's laying here, he's going to birth the Messiah through this kid. And as, as many as the stars are in the heaven, I'm going to have offspring through Isaac. That was the promise. So with the trial going on, with the promise in his heart, he, con- he, he considers in his heart, God is able, must be able to raise him from the dead. And he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to honor God, this command. And God says, wait, 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 stop. I provided. And he says, I've provided a sacrifice. He provided himself a sacrifice, he says. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, but Abraham's life was pointing to Christ. And Abraham's able to honor God. And we're able to read it in Scripture, and we're able to see a prophecy of a life lived pointing to Christ. Is that awesome? God wants to move you in your faith in such a way that in the midst of trials, how you're leaning on the Lord, that when people view your lives, they will see Christ. They will see the Messiah. They will see the prophecy. They will see the truth. And that's what he wants for Abraham. Father Abraham. He wants everyone to look into Abraham's life and see the Messiah, the ultimate, our Savior. Listen to this verse, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you greatly rejoice, and, and Peter's talking about your salvation and the hope you have. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is renewed. That's powerful. We are living testimonies. And God is, through trial, is working a living testimony in us that we will glorify his name. That we be his witnesses. Read you this quote from one of my favorite authors. And I don't think anybody reads him anymore. Um, Late 1800s, he died. um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says, trials find out the weak places in good men. Trials find out the weak places in good men. I know personally when I'm in a trial or a personal trial or whether in my home, I know when things are going on and I act in the flesh or make my own decision and God is quick to say, hey, that's not me, that's you. It's like, wow, I see my heart. I see my selfishness. I see that everything has to focus on me and surround, and surround me. It's about me. And God's like, no, it's about me, Mike. I want you to get that out of your life. And he often uses trials and circumstances so that I can see myself. And he sharpens us. God is in the business of growing Abraham into the man of great faith. And this requires circumstances where Abraham must trust God. Likewise, God is growing us. 
I wrote down a, a note last minute before I came up here, and I said, practice in private what will be displayed in public. Practice in private what will be displayed in public. In order for you to stand up in trials and to hold on to your faith, and he's depending and leaning on the Lord that he's got everything in, in control, there must be a history of you leaning on the Lord in his word, depending on him, walking through life with him. And I guarantee you, it'll be much easier for you when that trial hits. You'll be prepared. You'll be prepared to lean on the Lord. You'll be prepared to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you haven't memorized this verse, um, underline it in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one of these to be your Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. New King James, he will direct your path. That's what Abraham needed to do. Even in the severe famine. Take care of his family. He needed to go and worship. And he was worshiping before the famine. But as you noticed, I don't know if you noticed when we read through that, he didn't set up any altars and he did no worshiping in between. Until the end, when we read at the end, he worshiped at the end when he got back into the land where he was. He forgot about the Lord. He walked away from the Lord. All right, our question. So why did Abram find himself in Egypt or find himself in the world? Well, his faith, his lack of faith in the midst of the trial, which led to the last thing is sin. It led to sin. His lack of faith in the trials led to sin. Now, let me tell you, fear was a huge factor for Abraham. Fear was a huge factor for Abraham. When the severe famine hit, no doubt he was looking across his, um, his, 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 his material wealth, his physical wealth, his cattle and all that, but also his family, his children. And he had great responsibility as the father figure. And he had fear. And instead of embracing what God was doing in his life, instead of calling out to God for help, he runs and he depends on his own wisdom, his own understanding of things. And he finds himself in Egypt. Second Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. That word timidity, a spirit of fear. He did not give us this spirit of fear to be anxious about anything. And man, so many times we're fearful and anxious and anxiety ridden. He says, I didn't give you that. That's not from me. Trust in me. And God will put you in places that you will have to keep coming back to that place. Why am I going so crazy? Why am I going crazy about this test? Why am I going crazy about this relationship? Why am I going crazy about this decision? Why am I going crazy about my family? We need to get back and to call God into the equation. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. He's given us the ability through this Holy Spirit to make wise choices. Fear also drove Abraham here to pull his wife aside and say, Look, man, I think they're going to kill me when we walk in together as you as my wife. So I'm, I need to lie to you. I, we need to lie about this. And, she, and he basically corrupts his wife. 
He dismantles the family, <laughs> in a sense. He says, just pretend like this didn't happen so that he's worried about his flesh. He's worried about himself. So I don't get killed. It's crazy. It causes him to sin and lead other people into sin. And your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. Understand that. And Abraham does this. So Abraham goes into Egypt where he has no right to be. Again, fearful of starvation. He lies, asks his wife to go along with the lie. Again, he's trust in his own deception to protect him instead of trusting in the Lord to protect him. He's fearful what the Egyptians might do to him. And then, to, get, to make matters worse, he's rebuked by a pagan king. He's rebuked by the pharaoh of, of the world. <laughs> he's rebuked by the pharaoh of Egypt. There's nothing worse. Let me tell you, there's nothing worse if, as you being a Christian or claim to be a Christian and you're in the world. And again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about being a witness so that we may glorify the name of God and that we may point people to the cross. We may point people to their salvation. There's nothing worse when you're in the world living your life and people who have no idea who Jesus is, people without the life of Christ in them, they rebuke you for doing something wrong. They know better just in their own worldliness that that's wrong and you shouldn't be doing that and you get rebuked by an unbeliever. That should never happen. But it happens, doesn't it? There are people in the world that on the outside are more righteous than we are in a sense. I remember when I came to Christ and I still had a lot of baggage, you say, with me. I still had a lot of my old self-life with me when I came to Christ. People were so nice. I couldn't believe how nice people were. It took years for God to convince me that I was a nice person too. And I was going to be made into a nice person. But there were people just living in this world. And there are people now that are living in this world that do everything right. They go to their jobs on time. They pay their bills. They treat their wives and spouses to the utmost. They hold them in the highest regard that you could ever see. You know, they love on people. They take care of their family members when they get old, on and on. And they have the highest standards. And a lot of times they far outweigh or out, you know, surpass what we're doing as Christians. The worst thing that we could do is allow unbelievers to chastise us for doing something that is wrong and that's what happens here in the story as we read this pharaoh's like why didn't you tell me the the lord inflicted serious disease on pharaoh and his household because abraham's wife sarai so pharaoh summoned abram what have you done to me i thought you were a good guy why did you do this to me that would be crazy don't let that happen don't let that happen to you now What I love about the story as well, we see God's grace again. When he got held up in Haran, that delayed disobedience, he was waiting for his father to die, and then he got a second call. Hey, continue to go in. God really doesn't take any action against his delayed obedience. And here too, God doesn't really reprimand Abraham. In fact, he takes care of him, and he talks to Pharaoh for him, and he gets Pharaoh to send him on his way with all his family and all his goods, no harm, no foul. And God's grace, you see just God's grace and mercy poured out on the situation unharmed and here's the important point about this and I want you to get grace because grace will motivate you in your Christian walk grace will motivate you to depend on God because God did not call back his promise to Abraham hey I'm going to bless you and you know and the son that I'm going to born to you and, you, and it's going to birth 
uh, as many as, as the stars are in the sky and the Messiah, all the promises that God gave him did not depend on Abraham's actions. It didn't depend on Abraham. It depended on the promise. And as you walk through this world and you go through your failures and your successes, remember, it doesn't depend on you. It it depends on God's promises for you. And that's what we lean on. So what do we do? We repent of our failures and we move forward in Christ. And we don't let the devil, we don't let ourselves bury ourselves in our sin. We reject it, we move on. There is no condemnation now for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. You are no longer condemned. You are made righteous in this sight. And we're out of town. But I'll leave you with this. There are consequences for sin. We don't take God's grace for granted. There are consequences. And you can check out chapter 16, verse 1. While they're, we don't read it in this part of the story. While they're in Egypt, Abraham and Sarai will pick up an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Hagar, as she's, as she's there living with the family, Sarah will become impatient, waiting for God to fulfill the promises of her having a son. And she will ask Abraham to sleep with Hagar. Hagar uh, will then birth Ishmael. Ishmael... And the Ishmaelites that proceed from Ishmael will be a thorn in the flesh of Israel forever, even to this day. They are against Israel. So yes, there are consequences to our sins. So God's like, don't take my grace for granted. There are consequences to the mistakes we make. But nonetheless, God's grace covers us in our sin. Let's pray, and if that God would help us not to find ourselves in Egypt, to not find ourselves in the world, that we would have faith in the midst of our trials that we wouldn't sin. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the extra time today, Lord. Father, this is a huge story, Lord. Right from the beginning, Father God, you're training Abraham to live in a full dependence of you. And as we sung this worship song, Lord God, your, your promises are true. Your promises will come through always, Lord. I pray that you would help us depend on you always. Father, you would help us in the midst of our trials, and no doubt we're going through them right now. Father, you would help us in that we would call, you, call out to you, Lord. We would seek your wisdom, your direction. We would wait on you, Lord God. Father, that we wouldn't compound our mistake, resulting in making bad choices, even further bad choices and sinful choices, Lord. Father, help us to repent. Help us to turn to you, Lord God, and walk back in the promises that you've given us, Lord God, in the peace and the safety of those promises. Father, we love you. Help us, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are good listeners. I know it went a little long. Thank you. Have a great day, all right? For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.